Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. So rarely do we say the name of our show on our show, I feel like. But yeah, today I did. We're so excited to be back. <laughs> yeah. After a hiatus that was lovely. Oh, was it lovely, Jeff? It was lovely. Was it a good time for your entire family to get COVID? <laughs> it was a great time for my entire family to get COVID. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, I didn't forget that we got COVID, but I forgot that that was like during the... Yeah. Break. No, I like it, I, I I truly felt very bad that cuz like obviously when we planned our break, it wasn't so that you and your family could get covid. That wasn't the purpose of the time yeah. off. And so I felt bad that it was like, "Oh, like we're going to have this like scheduled break. It's going to be restful. We're going to, you know, kind of get Settled, get some of our lives in order and stuff, but instead you <laughs> got COVID was put out for like a week and my life was in disorder. Yeah. But it was nice to not have as many things that were like thrown out of balance by it. I guess that's true that it was like, oh, that's good timing. Yeah. It's not like we had to like delay an unscheduled hiatus from the podcast <laughs> because we just weren't able to do it because we were sick. Yeah. I didn't have to like put up an episode like, uh, or like a little announcement blurb that was like, due to unforeseen COVID incidences, we've had to pause the whole podcast. So that was good. It was just, it would have been better if it had not have happened. Agreed. Not getting COVID is always preferable <laughs> to getting COVID. Yeah. I got to read some books that weren't necessarily about like folklore scholarship, but were extremely fun and interesting. So that was fun. I call it resting my brain, even though other people are like, you're still reading. It still sounds like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't sound like you rested your brain, but it's. These are still books that people use in college courses. <laughs> But it's nice because I'm like, I, I can tell myself, like, whether you retain any of this information or you use it later, it doesn't matter. You can just enjoy reading this and there's not a deadline and you can just, yeah. I, I call that resting my brain. <laughs> because, I mean, after all, the podcast originated because you just enjoyed reading these things and we're reading them for fun. Yeah. And you wanted to be able to talk about it. Yeah. With people. <laughs> And people were like, hey, talk about it to yourself in a room alone and put it out on the internet for strangers to hear. I love So we don't have to. <laughs> I love that we always make it sound like like that people were like, maybe you should turn this into a podcast. But I think that like annoyed. Well but what, yeah, like we act like it was said in this like extremely like annoyed way when I think like most of those people who said that like listen to the podcast. Yeah. No, they do. Cause it is they were saying it because like it's interesting. I was one of the people that was kind of like that. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I was like, you should do a podcast before you propose kind of the idea. Yeah. But I was like, oh, definitely. I would listen to that podcast. But I, I mean, wasn't sure I was going to be on it at that point. But I mean, here we are. They, I, I do think that my friends do enjoy that as like a feature, they can listen to me at like two times speed. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is like a really nice feature. What I always think is funny is when people like apologize, like, or they, they say it like they're admitting some like shortcoming of themselves that they're like, they're like, um, I listen it to you at like 1.4 speeds. Mm, sorry. And it's like, why are you sorry? If you have the option, do it. Like, yeah. What what's what's really fun is if people uh for fun play us at like a slow speed, like a point five speed or whatever, <laughs> we sound so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like we see So if you ever want to feel ultimately superior in intellect to us, I mean it shouldn't be hard at normal speed, but at point five speed really like sells it. Welcome to the Fairy Tellers <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> now listen to that at slow speed. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. I don't think I can. So now that we are back, we are going to get into some more of our audience questions, audience requests. So we have some really great episodes coming up. Uh, for the rest of the year. But this episode, what we're going to be doing is answering some questions about appropriation that we've gotten from listeners. I'm so glad that we have an audience that is, you know, thinking about appropriation and being like really thoughtful in what media they're consuming. Uh, So I love these questions. So in particular, I got a question from a listener named Sonia, who was concerned after listening to our episode about Joel Chandler Harris. I think the episode is called Joel Chandler Harris Song of the South and Splash Mountain. I think that Mm -hmm. might be what we titled it. And her question after listening to that episode was, I'm so fearful of being appropriative that I'm reluctant to listen to or read stories from other cultures. What do I do? And I thought that was... Really thoughtful question, and I definitely wanted to like address it and talk to it. And I did. I sent her back a lengthy, thoughtful answer. Like at the time, she hasn't been like on hold like about that question. (laughs) I asked it six months ago. (laughs) Yeah, but I I thought that it was like a good question for like a broader audience to listen to. So if people don't want to pause this episode and go back and listen to that episode, it's. Episode 25, Splash Mountain, Anansi, and African-American Folklore. I will give some context for that conversation so you don't have to go back and like listen to that episode. I think what was specifically upsetting was Joel Chandler Harris, who is famous for publishing Uncle Remus tales of Br'er Rabbit and other characters that he appropriated from the African diaspora community in the United States. And those Uncle Remus stories were used as a framework for Disney's The Song of the South. And The Song of the South was viewed in segregated theaters where Black audiences were forced into the worst seats to watch the tales of their people being used to show this false idea of a like happy slave narrative. Mm-hmm. And in that episode, we quoted Alice Walker, who recounted being in one of those mm-hmm. audiences, like watching that and how it felt as a black person in America, seeing her African diaspora culture being taken and then given to white America as if it was like, oh, here's something fun for you to enjoy. Mm -hmm. 
So the fear of perpetuating that cycle of appropriation and destruction is like valid and justified. It's good to be worried about, you know, perpetuating pain and not wanting to do that. But it's not a good place to end up in this like place of like paralyzing fear. Yeah. Um, of like, oh no, what do I do? I won't do like anything at all. We want to end up in a place where we can recognize like what is appropriation, what's appreciation, and what's coming from the in-group of a community. So we're going to talk about this topic today. Sweet. So on TikTok, one thing that I've seen a lot of from uh, what's called native TikTok, and it's a lot of uh, Native American accounts from like multiple different First Nations and mm-hmm. just different Native American groups. I've really been enjoying hearing what is being said on like native TikTok and just like listening to what's going on there. And like one of the things that I have seen is uh, them answering the question a lot of can I support you by purchasing some of the like beaded items that you create? Because they're seeing the the craftsmanship that goes into like native beading, whether it's like earrings or necklaces or like brooches, they're seeing like, oh, wow, this is a really beautiful craft. I, I want to support you. But also, I don't want to purchase those things because what if it's appropriation? And like over right. and over again, like these like content creators are saying like, no. Okay. Like you, you're not appropriating by buying these items. These items are not religious in nature. They're not sacred. They're crafts and we want people to buy them and appreciate them Yeah, and recognize that it's, you know, native American art being created by native American artisans and then supporting them like, through money, like buying that craft. And so that that fear of, oh, no, I don't want to perpetuate pain for this community. I, I, I want to be a good person. But when you're afraid and you're like stuck in that spot where you're like, well, I'm not going to buy anything from Native American <laughs> groups. That's horrible. Yeah. And because then it's like, the the people who are appropriating, you know, that art, who are have like taken it and commercialized it and are having, you know, things created in mass, like those items are probably still being bought and purchased by people who don't care about appropriation. Right. And so the community that's make that, you know, that the item comes from mm. is still like making tons of money. Meanwhile, the people who are like, I don't want to appropriate this. So I'm also not going to support the like local artists or native artists. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. What, what is good is to like look into and research, you know, what is appropriation what is appreciation and move forward like with that, like understanding. Yeah. And it's a good sign that you are thinking about it. Absolutely. It's one of those things too. And like my wife is always like, I'm really worried that I'm just like not a good mom. It's like, 
good people who aren't good moms don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like the fact that you're concerned that you might not be a good mom for your kids, that you're concerned that like, oh, I'm not doing enough is like the fact that you're thinking about it is a pretty good sign that you're you're trying pretty hard yeah. to be good. And that a and that mom. you're the type of person that like if you find out that there is something that you didn't realize was causing harm and you found out like, oh, this is causing harm. It's a pretty good indicator that you'd be one of the first people to like stop doing that thing because you're asking yeah. yourself, you know, that question of like, like, what what am I doing? What is like appropriation? And so like going back to like Joel Chandler Harris and what he was doing was appropriation because what he was doing was taking stories from the African diaspora that he was saying that he, you know, listened to the people who like worked for his parents. Um, I'm trying to remember like what years they were because I can't remember if they were his, his parents. I can't remember if his parents had enslaved these people or if they were like freed Mm -hmm. and still working for like low wages for his parents. But he took these stories and then he wrote them the way that he felt like black people talked, which is very offensive to read. And then he sold those stories for his own profit. It's not like he was like helping those people who had told him those stories to publish those stories, those books, and then give them the money to then go on and lead a better life. Like, no, mm-hmm. He took those stories, he wrote them down the way that he felt, you know, black people talked. And then he sold those stories for his own enrichment and, like, legacy. That is appropriation just, like, all around. But when uh, you are, like, appreciating stories from another culture, you are consuming like through like listening to them, watching them, reading them, however you're like getting those stories, you are becoming like more aware of other people outside of yourself. And you can appreciate what their country, what their culture has to offer. Mm -hmm. And you are like more likely to one humanize them humanize the people whose stories are listening to because suddenly this group of people who are either separated from you by time or by distance Mm -hmm. suddenly you're seeing them as like human beings just like yourself in those stories and you're also seeing the beauty that is inside of their specific culture and so it's like appreciation all around And the closer that you can get to those sources of somebody who's inside of that group, the better. For sure. Because that's the thing that's kind of sticky for me. Because there's there's one part of me that wants to say basically like when you're reading stories, as long as you're just like reading it and like entering it into your brain, like as long as you're reading the stories or looking at the art or whatever, as long as it's kind of like you absorbing it for yourself, I kind of want to say like, that's cool. That's fine. In, in no circumstances is there anything wrong with that. 
Except for there's a part of me that's kind of like the thing you mentioned of trying to get back as close to the original source as you can. And in the sense of like by buying Joel Chandler Harris's book and supporting him and reading that, like I, I can see how there's maybe something a little like, I know that's yeah. the part where it gets a little sticky for me with my first thing of being like, it's safe to just, it's safe to just take it in. Yeah. There's no way you're going to appropriate if you're just taking it, but I guess you could kind of like support appropriation by taking it in depending on how you go. Cause, but, but that's also to say like, again, there's a lot of nuance because sometimes you're not going to be exposed to some stories as an English speaker or whatever your native language is or whatever languages that you can speak. Like that's going to limit the way that you can encounter some of these things. So it's like, not that you should completely avoid things that aren't from the culture themselves, but I think there's an element of just like you talk about, like awareness and understanding. Like if you were to read now, Joel Chandler Harris's stuff, which is all public domain. His estate is getting no money from it. Like reading it and understanding that it's not the stories that he heard. It's his interpretation yeah. of it and not trying to like draw meaning about the culture that produced them. Yeah. Just from his stories. You know what I mean? Like you still need to have, I guess, kind of like, it's still good to have that awareness and you probably should. Does that make sense? Katrina? That does. Yeah. Yeah, I like that you're pointing to this, like, this this thoughtfulness that goes into it of, like, sometimes you have to decide, like, what would cause the least harm of, mm-hmm. or even realizing as you're reading, knowing who wrote it, whose point of view it's coming from, just so that if, like, while you are, like, reading the stories, listening to the stories, you know through what possible biases it might be passing through. Yeah. Which I think is something that we've tried on our podcast to do when we are constantly reminding people that, like, we are white, we're not from this culture, that even though we might talk about, like, times that we, like, lived in other countries or, like, went to other countries, like, we ourselves want to make sure that people know that at the end of the day, like we are white Americans. And so that way, at least while we're telling the stories, you know, people will know that we're not claiming the stories as our own. We are wanting to be respectful of the the people or like the cultures that we're like discussing. And that through no fault of our own, we are like white Americans. <laughs> that yeah. was a funny way of saying that of like through no fault of our own. But don't blame me for yeah, no, that, <laughs> being born white. In America. No, but it's like the, the story when it passes through any storyteller is, is going to pass through the filter of that person. And so it is through no fault of our own. The filter that the stories are going to pass through is going to right. be us. And I think that's one of the things that I like about our podcast too, is that the way that we retell these stories is very, like we lean into our interpretation of it so much in a way that's like, and also because we're talking about the, we talk about stuff surrounding it. I think that's an important part of it too, but it's like, no one is going to walk away from listening to me retelling any of these stories and think like, oh, that is exactly how it was told originally quote unquote (laughs) because there's no such thing as original anyway but that's a different topic for a different question for a different day 
<laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Nobody is going to like walk away from our podcast and be like, wow, that story was told exactly as an ancient Hawaiian person <clears throat> would have told that story. <laughs> it's like, no, no, never think that. So talking about uh, appreciation, I had a cool experience um, a couple months ago. My son's school was asking any parents who had any job or could talk about any job for the, their career week. They had really opened up. They wanted any volunteers that they could possibly get um, <laughs> to come to the school. There weren't like a whole lot of takers. But I was like, you know what? I have the time. I'll go to the school. And I was just going to talk about, you know, podcasting as a career that like more and more jobs are being created around stuff that, you know, w wasn't there when I was a kid growing up. Podcasting was my thing when like yeah. I was a kid. And so that's interesting to, to look at and talk about that. Like, Oh, the job market will look a lot different when you are, you know, in your thirties than right now when you're nine. And then also I was talking about folklore and folklorists and what they study. I thought that would be a lot more interesting to kids than just being like, like, so I'm a podcaster. This is a microphone and you edit like <laughs> stories. And so I was talking uh, with them about folklore and this one kid in the back, like raised his hand and he was like, do you know who Pele is? And I was like, Pele, the Hawaiian goddess of like the volcanoes. And he was like, yeah, do you know about her? Do folklore study her? And I, I didn't want to be like, Aww. like, well, that's mostly mythology. And so a mythologist would say, no, I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. Like folklore study her. And she's like really, really interesting. And one of the things that I love about her is that it's very much tied to, you know, the creation of the islands. And so we, I, you know, talked with him like a little bit like about that. And I was like, are you from Hawaii? And he like nodded like really vigorously. And the teacher was like, yeah, he is almost to say like, yeah, he brings it up a lot, which it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I was just deeply displaced from like his, you know, culture um, of origin uh. <laughs> living in like now the American desert. And like he he just like he looked really excited and happy to like, you know, talk about his his home culture and like to have somebody validate his cultures stories and their like goddesses and to know to be like yes no that is important that is something that like folklorists are interested in and and that has value we see value in in what you're talking about and so i felt really good about that interaction and i was like hopefully he Felt good about it, too. I'm probably reading a lot into it of, like, this little kid. But then when the class made, like, a thank you card for me, like, a lot of the other kids, you know, just wrote, like, thank you for coming to our class. Thank you for talking. We don't even remember who <laughs> yeah, you like, are. Thank you for talking about or your job. You yeah. Like, just, like, a generic, like, thank you and, like, whatever. And, like, his message was so sweet where he was just, like, 
thank you for coming to our class and talking about Pele that I told you about. And Aww. I was like, oh, he did remember. <laughs> it was like yeah. a moment of like connection. And it really is like so much like while we've been like doing the podcast when people will message and we've covered a story like from their culture or we've covered a story that sounds similar to one that they have and, you know, mm. they want to talk about it or they want to, like, recommend that I, you know, look more into, like, Serbian folk tales uh, because yeah. they want to be seen. I feel like all people, you know, they want to be seen. They want other people outside of their culture to recognize, like, the beauty and the value that their culture has and to feel like yeah and just to feel seen like you said you know yeah it's it's like a very human desire to to know that like your culture produces something beautiful but then have somebody outside be like you're right that is really beautiful and thank you for sharing it with me yeah and i think you'd hit it even more on the just kind of the connection because it's like it's a way that, oh, someone is familiar with this story that I'm familiar with, like deeply familiar with because it's from my culture or whatever, you know, like, and it's the same thing, like as an American, it's a weird situation. Like you talk about when we're like living abroad, but like going and talking about like American movies or American music, which is huge, like in tons of countries all around yeah. the world. It's really cool. And it's a nice way to be able to connect with people. Like they know like, oh, this guy's American. He probably knows about these movies that are American or whatever. And it's like, and I'm a huge movie nerd. So I do know about that movie because I watch a lot of them, you know? So, and it, like, it's just a, a way to connect. And when you throw something out there, that's like something that you like or something that's like personal to you and important to you and someone else likes it too, like that's a good feeling. And that like, again, kind of strengthens the connection. There's so funny because my wife talks about there'll be people that will like hang out with not recently, but like when we were younger and like at first when I meet them, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this person, but then we'll hang out another time and they bring up like a TV show that I like or a movie <laughs> that they like and they like it too. And I'm like, oh man, they're so cool. I like them so much. And she's like, just cause they like the same media as you doesn't mean that they're this great person all of a sudden, but it really, that's how powerful it kind of yeah. is. You know, imagine if it's something that's even more personal to you than just like a movie that you like, like, yeah. That, that they're like, oh, I see it. This is beautiful. Oh, man. I was on a trip with my husband in Mexico. And one of the nerdiest things about me, I don't know if it's the nerdiest thing, but it's one of them. I love ancient ruins. I, I can't get enough of them. Anytime we're anywhere. We were like in Mexico, supposed to be enjoying the beach. And I was like, oh my goodness, I want to see as many ancient ruins as like I possibly can. I want to see as many decaying piles of rocks as possible. <laughs> I love it. No, there's just something like so incredible and like energizing about oh, for sure. Like walking in a place and thinking about like the people who lived there before and the people who built it and the lives, you know, that they had and how they were like people just like me with like hopes and dreams and you know yeah. whatever so i and i love i love a good guided tour i am just obsessed with like a good guided tour and so the tour bus that my husband and i were on the majority of the people who were on this tour were um spanish speakers and so the main tour guide was going to take the whole spanish speaking group with him to do the tour but he told all of the English speakers that he 
was going to get another tour guide. There are other tour guides that are there. Um, mm. Like when you get to the place that you can like hire either like just for your tour or yeah. So he was like, I will get somebody to do an English speaking tour for you. And so I obviously was very jazzed for this. That's my like whole shtick. <laughs> and so when we got out of the bus and all of the English speakers were like kind of being like sectioned off. This was, we were in Tulum. Um, if people know where that is, but when we got off of the bus and they found a tour guide for us, everybody else in the English speaking tour was like, Oh, I'm not really interested in a tour. I just want to go down to the beach that's there and take pictures of them on the beach with all like the ruins, like behind them. Oh, man. It was it was like a photo op. Yeah. And the tour guide was just like, oh, OK, yeah, no, I understand. And they like walked off and he like looked at my husband and I and he was like, oh, did did you guys still want the tour? And I was like, I <laughs> would love a tour. I tour so hard. You have like. Yeah. <laughs> And so, like, he gave us, like, the whole tour. And like just the two of you? The, just the two of us. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And he was just, like, at the end of it, uh, I was like, thank you so much for doing that. That was, like, all really fascinating. And he was like, yeah, thank you for listening. Most of the people who come from America, they just want to go down to the beach to, like, take pictures. <laughs> And that made me like so sad. And then when yeah. we went to get back onto like the tour bus with just the like our original bus like mm -hmm. tour guide, I guess our tour guide had told the like bus tour guide that we had done like the whole tour. And he was like, thank you so much for appreciating the history of the people at this place. Yeah. And like that, like just hit me so strong that it was like that he would say thank you to us, that he would go out of his way to say right. thank you to us for going on a tour. Like I was thankful to have gotten a tour. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. but he was like, because it was what he appreciated was that we cared. Yeah. Like that we wanted to learn about the culture of people who lived here, the history of the place. Like, why they built the things that they built the the mythological gods that they believed in like we because we cared he was like thank you for like caring yeah kind of to illustrate what you were talking about like that connection of like seeing somebody else's like culture and being like wow that's really beautiful and them be like thank you for thinking that yeah. For caring instead of being like, oh, who cares what these people believe or did or whatever. I just think it's a beautiful photo op. <laughs> yeah, that's super nice. Yeah, I love that. I've, it, I'm kind of the same way as far as it's a weird situation. Like when I go to like a museum or something like I do like to just look at whatever object it is, whether it be, you know, like a, a history museum or whatever. And like, oh, this is cool. But I love to read the plaques and the stuff and watch any type of like little informative movie that they have. And it's like, really, there's not enough time for me to satisfactorily attend any museum or place of this kind, like for myself. Cause like, I 
kind of literally want to read every single word on every single one of those little plaques, which is just kind of not feasible when you're going with a group because most people in a group that you go to museum with, even if they're kind of into the thing that you're going to the museum for, are not to that degree. So you're kind of like, oh man, well, I got to be selective about what I actually read because like I can't be here forever because there are other people that are, you know, relying on me. It's like that. Again, people think it's sad, like, oh, going to like a museum by yourself or like going to a movie by yourself or whatever. It's like, I love going to things by myself, especially <laughs> movies and museums, because they don't have to worry about like the social pressure of everyone else. Like I can sit yeah, to yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of the credits yeah. and not have to worry if these are the type of people that sit to the end of the credits or if they're the type of people that leave as soon as they can. It's just like, no, yeah. I can watch the credits because that's what I like to do. I can read every single plaque and take six million years in this museum because yeah. that's what I want for myself. And I don't have to worry about the social pressure of anyone else. So in honor of this wonderful kid who just wanted to uh, be seen and appreciated, like he wanted his culture to be like seen and appreciated. um, We're going to be telling Hawaiian tales today. And one of them is a little bit geomythology, geomythology light. (laughs) Yes. As long as it's somewhat geomythology related, our hardcore fans will be stoked. Uh, But also what I thought was uh, interesting about the tales that we're going to tell is that I learned some stuff about the Hawaiian people that I did not know about because the subject of them was something that I hadn't heard about. So I'm excited to retell the tales. Nice. I love learning new things. The first story that I'm going to be retelling is the legend of Pupu Alina Lina. So, on a distant island in Hawaii, there lived a king and his name was Hakau. And he owned acres and acres of land. And he often would go strolling around all of his acres of land and just enjoying the view of everything that he had. And he had large patches of taro growing. He had groves of coconut palm trees. But at the foot of this one cliff on his land, he kept his prized awa fields. So awa or there's a lot of different Polynesian words for it. Kava, Ava, Awa, Kawa'a. There's just a lot of different like words, but the Awa fields, but Awa is a plant that the roots have been used as um, they have like a sedative effect. And so... Uh. These roots, they'd be pounded down and then boiled until the water then cooled and the like both the flavor and like the effects leached into like the water and it would be used as a drink. And the drink has a very like calming sedative effect. But the only people who are supposed to be drinking this were the uh the royalty, the higher up, like it was something that was supposed to be reserved for like a higher class mm-hmm. of people. So this king, he had this massive field of awa growing and he was really proud of it, obviously, because it's like a it's a fun time, fun time route. 
That's what all the cool kids are calling it. <laughs> King Akawa's fun time route. Oh no. That's something else. I was gonna say it's the go-to brand for fun time for for Awa. King Hakao's fun time route. So this king was leading a very happy life, lots of abundance in his life, but the one trouble that he did have was that between the hours of midnight and dawn, a lot of ghosts that lived in a cave uh, in a neighboring valley to him would wake up at night and create a huge, terrifying racket. Cave ghosts can't live with them. Can't live with them. Wait, maybe you can. You could probably um, pretty easily live without them. Live without them, yeah. Sleep a lot better at least. <laughs> and the story says that like he was terrified by these ghosts, not just because of the sound that they created, but also because they reminded him too often of his own mortality. Memento That's fair. <laughs> That's a good thing to be reminded of your mortality. Yeah, apparently he didn't like it every night, though, while he was trying to sleep. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like, actually, no, that happens to be at night. I'll be, like, falling asleep, and then I'll suddenly just, you know, be like, <gasps> existential dread. <laughs> yeah, late at night is not the time to be contemplating your own mortality or anything <laughs> sad. <laughs> Whew. But also, is this going to backwards turn into another sleep paralysis demon origin story it is not it is absolutely not because now this story i feel is about to take a very delightful turn Mm, yeah so far below this king at the valley's edge there lived a fisherman and his only companion was a brown dog that was named poo poo alina lina because that's the title of the story (laughs) it's it's the name of a dog um so every day This fisherman would go out in his canoe and he would throw in his line and his whale tooth hook and he would just sit and wait to catch a fish. And pretty soon a brilliant mahi-mahi would end up biting onto his hook and he'd reel it in and put it down into his boat. But Pupualina-lina also really liked fish. (laughs) And so the dog would often try to uh, jump to jump at the fish and eat it before the fisherman could do anything with it. But the fisherman, who is a very good humored man, would say to Poo Alina Lina, hey, if you eat my fish, which I'll let you do, you have to promise to bring me some awa root. And the dog happily would agree and eat his more than his portion of fish. And then every night when the fisherman would go back to shore and he would go and he would lay down this dog, he would run off into the jungle and sometime in the night, he would return to his master with some awa root. And this fisherman had no idea where this awa root was coming from, but I think that we all know as well as this dog, um, that every day what he was doing when he would get home to find that Awa route is he would go into the fields of the king. Not a good situation to be getting yourself into. Yeah. 
Especially when, like, this is Royal Awa route. It's supposed to be reserved for a specific class of people. And mm. so it's taboo to be eating the king's food that's for him. So this is a little bit of a problem. So one day the king, as we started off the tale saying he so often would go walking around all of the acreage that he owned. He came into his Awa field and he saw that there was a section where a lot of the Awa plant had been disturbed and roots taken out of the ground. And I think we all know who was doing that. (laughs) So the king realized that somebody had to be sneaking into that field in the middle of the night and stealing from him. So he ordered some guards to go to the Awa patches and stay there at night to see who it was that was sneaking in in the middle of the night. So next night, sure enough, this little dog, Poo Poo Alina Lina, comes running into the field, starts digging vigorously, grabs a root, rips it off, and starts running away. So the guards, seeing the dog do this, they ran after him. And it wasn't long before the dog had ran far ahead of them to where they couldn't get to him. But they watched from a distance to see where he went, and pretty soon they saw him head into this hut that was by the coast, the home of the fishermen. So they sent a bunch of guards down the next day with the king to that hut to go and interrogate the person who lived inside. And when they got there, they, you know, walked into this fisherman's hut. And this I thought was very interesting because I was really confused by what he said. The guard was like, so this is your dog and you are the Awa drinker, as I see by the scales on your body. And I was like, I, I was like, wait, what? And I looked it up, Jeff. And so apparently one of the effects, if you drink too much Awa root, especially Uh if you aren't eating a lot of other, like a lot of other foods, you're not drinking like a lot of water, staying well hydrated, is you Uh get this like really dry skin that turns into like cracked scales. Oh my gosh. And so when he's like, I can see by the scales on your body, that also tells us that like, not only like this had been ha- this had been happening for a long time right. and also probably like he wasn't he was like giving up like the fish for like right yeah he was letting uh, yeah. the dog eat the fish so he could get his his yeah. awa root and so like this guy had been like drinking a lot of it so the reason why that happens is because of um it takes a heavy toll on your liver, just like if you were like drinking a lot of like alcohol, it -hmm. doesn't have the same effects as alcohol. In fact, a lot of people want to, not a lot of people like there's places specifically Australia, New Zealand, a lot of like the Pacific islands, they recommend AWA as a replacement to alcohol because Mm -hmm. you still get like a, good like sedative effect like from Mm -hmm. it like that you would from alcohol like a nice euphoria it's a depressant like it's like alcohol but it doesn't have the same levels of chances for like violence like right yeah it's kind of like how they say like you meet a lot of angry drunks but you don't meet a lot of like angry potheads yeah and it's because of like the what what it does to the body is better than 
alcohol, mm-hmm. but with still some of the benefits of like alcohol. Right. I, I thought that was really interesting. Like when I was researching it, that like, yeah. that it was like to help alcoholics like move away from alcohol, but still have some of the same, like, like beneficial of beneficial in that, like, if if the reason you're drinking like is like drink, yeah 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 like get the effects that you would like without the undesirable side effects yeah as yeah. a way to like wean yourself off of the worst thing onto a better thing like going from smoking cigarettes to vaping <laughs> or even like like nicotine patches yeah where it's like or even like oh what is it if you're on like heroin Me- methadone. methadone yeah where it's like you don't want to like the goal isn't to stay on methadone, like, but it's to like help not have quitting heroin be as horrible. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, when it says like, I see by the scales on your body, like, Oh no, like that, that legit is like a thing. And it's like, it's those things I love when I'm reading a story where I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, of course it doesn't make any sense to you. You have no background information like on this topic. So <laughs> like, yeah, it would be confusing when you like read that. But anyway, the the fisherman, he confessed pretty quickly that he he was like, yes, I am the one that's been drinking the Awa root. But... He was like, I had no idea where this dog was getting it from, which, okay. (laughs) Plausible deniability. I had no idea, and I didn't want to know. I just thought that he was finding some magic Awa root from nowhere. Like, it's a good justification, maybe. But also, you know, they were like, oh, well, then we're going to have to... (laughs) Then we're going to have to kill your dog. And he's like, why would you kill my dog? And they're like, because he's been stealing the Awa root. And he's like, he also didn't know that it was the king's Awa, like, grove. Which, of he's course, he dog. would. He's a dog. But they seized Pupu Alina Alina and his master. And they brought both of them to stand before the king. And the king demanded to know, you know, is this your dog? And, you know, the fisherman was like, it is. He's like, have you been drinking the royal Awa? And he's like, I didn't know. (laughs) And the king was like, all right. The king was like, well, it doesn't matter because I am going to have to put you to death anyway. Unless, unless you think that your dog with its unusual intelligence will be able to do a favor for me. He was like, do you think that your dog would be able to go into this lonely cave full of disquieted spirits Mm. and retrieve their great shell trumpet that they play at night? (laughs) And it says, while the king was speaking, Pupu Alina Lina was listening intently and taking the unsuspected guard by surprise, he quickly disappeared out of the palace doors. So that night, like clockwork at midnight, those spirits woke up and started to disturb the slumber of the king. And it made me wonder if like only the king could hear it. Cause it sounds like mm-hmm. it wasn't a problem that like everyone was having. 
Yeah. It sounds like it was particularly just a problem for this, like one king that for whatever reason, he was the only one who could hear like these spirits. 1% problems. <laughs> yeah. So from midnight until almost dawn, they played their loud music. They just had a undead revelry. And as day was starting to approach, one of the spirits went to hang the shell trumpet on the branch of a withered tree nearby. And they started to fall asleep, which I thought was adorable that these like spirits were like, and now it's nap time. <laughs> um, I want to do, I want to look more into like these spirits. I hear that there's a lot of really good, like Hawaiian ghost stories that I feel like might be like worth looking into for like an episode. I don't know. In October. I mean, these ones are pretty cool. They like hang out all night playing their trumpet. Yeah. They seem pretty chill. Like just like your neighbor. Maybe it's a ghost that's playing the trombone next door. (laughs) (gasps) Maybe, but only I can hear. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So the story says that Pupu Alina Lina knew that the powers of the spirits uh, was lessened with the rising sun. And so right at that moment when they put the shell trumpet down, that's when the dog sprang up and stuck his head through the loop of the cord, the like rope that they'd used to like hang it up. He like put his head through that loop and jumped down and started running out of the cave but as he was running, the shell, I get out maybe because it was magic, maybe from the wind, it started to play as he was like running towards the doorway. And it woke up a bunch of the spirits as he was running. And one side of the shell struck a rock at the entrance and a piece broke off and fell to the ground. And that created a loud booming sound, but then the trumpet like stopped playing. But these spirits like sprang up, but because he had timed it with the sun rising, as he jumped out of the cave, mm. the spirits couldn't leave the cave to like get the dog. And Pupu Alina Lina ran and ran until he got back to the palace of the king and he dropped the shell at the king's feet. And the king was so happy and grateful that he decided that he would gift to the fisherman his very own field of Awa. (laughs) And he gave one of his nicest fishing ponds to Pupu Alina Lina, who remained his inseparable friends and companions to the day of death. Oh, man, that's such a sweet end of the story. I know. So one thing that I really liked about the story, one, I didn't know anything about Awa, like, yeah, before I started reading the story. And it was two, like a great I, opportunity to learn something new about something new. Yeah. And also, I feel like a lot of the times when we're looking at, like, Hawaiian tales, and by we, I mean me, like, when I'm, like, researching them, like, a lot of the the stories that are kind of, like, the easiest to find, the ones that are, like readily available are use are usually mythological stories mm-hmm. and this story was just very like like a like classic folk tale you know of yeah. like you know this like big king or leader who is like oh who's been stealing from my patch and it's like this scrappy fun dog and it's like oh let's go battle <laughs> like some ghosts and 
Um, I'm sorry that I used the word scrappy and then battle ghosts. That that was <laughs> I know. I was about to say, wait, this is a story about a stoner and his unusually <laughs> intelligent dog oh, that no. go in and help someone get rid of their ghost problem. This was not a sleep paralysis <laughs> demon origin story. It was a Scooby-Doo origin story. And I love it. Ruh, ruh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. that And the mystery... Yeah. Machine is painted with like Hawaiian flower. Oh my, you're right. I want to believe now that this that this fisherman's canoe was painted like the mystery machine. <laughs> but yeah, one thing that I really love about that story is that yeah, like it it's not mythology based or like anything like that. It's just fun. Yeah, it's super fun. But now I am going to be telling a story of Pele and yes. Oh yeah. Because just so that people know this kid, (laughs) this kid in my son's class, um, when I said uh, Pele or like, yeah, I was like Pele. And he was like, look at me. He was like, no, Pele, like Pele. He's like, nope. Hate that. No. <laughs> no, but he was he's like, I don't think you're saying it right. And I was like, you're probably correct. <laughs> because it's Pele, like Pele. a P-E-H sound for like the first one. But I guess the soccer player is Pele. I don't know. I I, I don't know anything. Um, so this next story that I'm gonna be retelling is about Pele and the Halua racers. Do you know what Halua racing is? I don't, but I want to. I was absolutely fascinated because I was like, I don't know what they're talking about. I have never heard of this before. And so I started Googling it because I was like, I want to see like what this is. So ancient Hawaiians figured out that if you set up a track of smooth stones, you can create sleds that will go down those tracks mm-hmm. and you can race. And so nice. it looks a lot like sledding, except that the like sleds that they're sliding on are a lot longer and a lot skinnier. It's a very dangerous sport, <laughs> by the way. But yeah, they would create these like long tracks on the side of these like volcanoes, like these volcanic because it's like the volcanic mountain. And so they would do it so that it was on this like slope. So it, it it's crazy because it seems like something like a sport that you could only do in like the winter when there's a lot of snow or something. Did you just Uh, look up pictures? I'm looking it up and it's like. A mile-long engineering marvel allowed chiefs to ride down a mountain at 50 miles per hour all the way to the sea. Yeah. It's like, that's insane. Yeah. It's because I'm like, they're 50 miles an hour. Cause like it was like some like bobsled, like yeah. treacherous like levels. And so yeah, it was like a test of like like nerve and skill and strength, like to to race those. So yeah, it's really fascinating. 
uh, to look into. And this story is about that. It's Pele and the Halua racers. So, as most of you know, Pele is the goddess of fire. And she is known for, you know, being associated with having a fiery temper. (laughs) That's a great way to describe her on account of she's a fire goddess. Um, And she also was said to like live inside of some of these like volcanic craters or even some of the active volcanoes that are like still active today. But every now and then Pele likes to come out for some fun as well. You know, when you work hard, you deserve to have a little fun every now and then. (laughs) When you work hard, you like to play hard. So one early spring day, Pele had gotten a little bored and she was in a kind of good mood. And she decided, you know what, like, I'm going to go out and see what, you know, some of the people who live out here are doing. And it says she left her fiery halls for the green word of the slopes of Mauna Loa. So she, as she got closer, she could hear the cries and the excited shouts of the, Halua players who were gathering on a nearby hillside. So she looked out and she saw these two racers, these two men, Kahawali and Ahua, who were apparently some of the most handsome chiefs of Kauai. I believe it. (laughs) So the story says that Halua racing was a favorite sport of Pele, especially since it was usually played on the side of these like volcanic (laughs) mountains. I was like, oh, yeah, Yeah. that makes sense that she's like, oh, I'm into it. Apparently, she was very proud of her supernatural skill and daring when it came to Halua racing. And I'm like, yeah, if I was Pele, I would also be really proud of my skill and daring. (laughs) Because she's incredible and can beat anybody. So Pele was super enjoying watching, you know, person after person going down this slope. And she was getting like more and more into it and wanting to participate. So Pele decided that she wanted to join the tournament, but she didn't want to join to race against like just anybody. She wanted to race against those two men that she saw, those two handsome chiefs, the Kahawali and Ahua. And so when she saw these two get up to race each other, that's when everybody saw, it says, this tall, lithe maiden of the beauty of the dawn approaching. And she had her own sled all ready to go. Came prepared, came to play. Yeah. Of course, you know, when these men saw this beautiful woman who wanted to participate, they kind of were like, oh, okay. We'll see. We'll see how she does. (laughs) And when the race was finished, she had beat them by so much. It was like embarrassing, like how much faster says easily 10 sled lengths beyond them. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it's like it was not a photo finish. She won for sure. Um, 
So gracefully, she went back up the hill and Kahawali and Nahua approached and they were quite taken with her. They were like, <laughs> you are incredible, very impressive. Like that was a great race. Will you honor us with another race? And she was like, of course I will, because she's like, any any chance I have to like show you how impressive I am, um, I will take it. Dust. <laughs> make you eat my lava rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, they shot down the hillside, and at the end, Pele had easily beaten these men down the mountain. So the men asked her if she wanted to go again to race again. And she, of course, acquiesced. But this time, Kahawali decided, and it said he did it in the spirit of jest, but it, it wasn't a funny joke. Or uh, <laughs> Pele did not appreciate it. He decided on the walk back up that he was going to load his sled up with rocks. So he was like loading his, his, like his clothes up with rocks. He was hiding rocks like in the front of like his sled to help pull Mm -hmm. him down like faster. That's how they got disqualified in, uh, cool runnings. The like coach, their coach, he got his team disqualified because he weighted down their sled. Yeah. Back when he was a bobsledder and that's why he's disgraced and everyone hates him. I had forgotten that 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 had happened (laughs) to John Candy. So thank you for reminding me. So like in 20 years, this guy is going to be a disgraced former sledder that's going to coach the Jamaican. uh, How do you pronounce the the sports name? The the Jamaican Holua team. (laughs) The Jacob Holua team to uh, the Olympics. Yeah. Anyway. So he's he's loading it down with rock. Yeah. Kahawali thought that he would, you know, wait wait his uh his self down both himself and the sleigh to help him win so when they raced again and they went down this guy kahawali just barely beat pele Mm. and when he laughingly stood up and pulled the rocks like out of his sled Pele's mood changed from having a good time to being like seething, raging, mad. And to the point, it says bolts of chain lightning flashed from her eyes. Oh, man. And like black smoke coming out of her nostrils, like flames, flames on the side of my face. <laughs> For any, What's that from? It's from Clue, the movie. Oh, well. I know I've seen that. Yeah. Flames. Flames. On the side of my face. <laughs> Ooh, classic line. So immediately, Kahawali realized that he had made a huge mistake, but he had mm-hmm. made that discovery too late. And Kahawali and... Ahua both jumped back onto their sleds and tried to race down even farther away from her, down to the (laughs) seaside where they could escape from Uh her raging hot lava anger. (laughs) 
<laughs> and as they raced down the side of the hill, what was left of the side of this hill, unfortunately, Pele was uh, also very fast at descending this hill, mm. as previously shown. And as they both tried to, like, in their terror, get as far away from her as they could, Kahawali's foot just barely touched the water before the hot breath of Pele encircled him. She threw her arms around his body and consumed him basically with like her heated lava rage. And he just like scorched and charred like in her hands until he had basically turned back into like the elements Oh my god. Of himself. And so Ahua was able to get a lot closer to the ocean, but not far enough in. And I feel bad for him because he did not he didn't put the rocks like in his sled. Like he <laughs> Yeah. So but Pele grabbed him as well and smothered him <laughs> with her embrace. And sadly, it says, repentant, Pele realized what she was doing and, like, released the men or, like, drew back away. But it was too late. They were, like, engulfed in Mm -hmm. the, like, lava stone. So in sadness, she retreated back to her cavernous volcanic home. And it says, to this day, travelers can still see on the shore of Hawaii two rugged pinnacles of century-weathered lava. <sighs> Thus the geomythology adjacent. Yeah, it's one of those stories that's used to, like, you know, describe or, like, give a story to, like, some unusual rock features that yeah. can be found. And I guess these two that it's referring to, I wasn't able to find, like, any pictures But apparently it's supposed to be um, these two symmetrical mounds, like lava mounds. And so I think at this point people don't know what they went over, like what the lava flow went over. But Mm -hmm. whatever it went over, it affected like the shape of like the mounds that are like near the coast. So, yeah, at some point the lava flowed over something and created like those like raised mounds interesting yeah and so the story is that what it was was like these two these two dudes halua riders who yeah upset pele enough that you know she (laughs) flowed over them but in that story like i i mean obviously like i don't love the like (laughs) charring the men to death but like it very well like you know describes kind of like that flow of lava of like how when lava is like that liquid's coming down and what's also really yeah. interesting is the volcanoes that are in Hawaii the the lava that comes out of it has a low viscosity mm-hmm. which means that it doesn't uh build up and come out in an explosive way normally yeah. it just slowly like leaks out uh-huh. which 
I mean, it's hard to tell what's like which lava is better, like worse for like an area. Right. But like because it's not this like massive explosion, it is easier in a way mm-hmm. to get up and like move away from it as it's like right. coming out. But in this story, I really thought that like it really paints that picture. I can really see it, you know. It's like this like anthropomorphic lava flow that's coming down the hill that's being described. And so you can see it. And so it is like I like the the image is very like evocative of just like this lava woman like coming after like these guys in this like rage as they are because I mean it's so like cinematic I can imagine these guys like on their racers like sleds trying to get down to the water like as quickly as possible using all the skill that they have to like dodge her like lava embrace Um, and yet she still you know overtakes them in this like lava flow. And so I thought that story was like, just like so interesting, just like visually to like think about. Oh yeah. If that scene's not in Moana too, then I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs) Then like, what's the point? Um, I think one thing that I find really interesting that just now you reminded me of it by mentioning like Moana, one of the interesting clues that uh, we have of kind of like the, the origin of like how the people of Hawaii eventually got to the islands mm-hmm. is like tracing back their like shared storytelling and their shared language with a lot of the islands that they came across as they like moved across like those islands, like outward. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really interesting when you're looking at like, you know, these like Polynesian islands yeah, and the language similarities. And so it's like, they're clearly relatives like of each other. And even like some of their mythologies are like shared mythologies. And Maui is a character that's like present in like all of like, the tales, which was interesting that mm-hmm. like Moana like used. And I believe that Pele is also one that is, she's on more than just the Hawaiian islands. Right. And awesome. yeah, so it's just, it, it's really cool that like storytelling has been able to, or like these like stories and the mythologies can give us some of the history of like how these people like ended up out on these islands. Yeah. That's awesome. It is definitely a fine line to walk when you are trying to become more informed about other cultures so that you can appreciate them without also consuming media that has been appropriative. Mm -hmm. And so like it is always like a topic that you kind of have to be like questioning and asking yourself about like who, who benefits from me, like enjoying this media and is it the people that this came from? Also like, is this being respectful to the people that these like stories or art or wherever, like where it came from it, like, is it being respectful of them? Is it appreciating them? Is it showing, is it showing the beauty that a culture has to offer? And it's probably like a question that we should all be like grappling with and trying to find like the right way through. And so I really appreciate that we have listeners who care 
about appropriation and that they want to do better, especially like after listening to a story about Joel Chandler Harris and, you know, what what he did to a culture and a culture's like stories. And so I think it's wonderful that people are like listening to our episodes and are wanting to like be better people. And I think like that is great. But I also hope that instead of that like paralyzing like fear of being a person who's appropriating, I hope they can move towards appreciating and finding places, not just like, I hope our podcast is one that, you know, fosters appreciation for other cultures, but like other media that you also consume. Like, I hope that people are able to, with their knowledge about what appropriation is, that they are able to then move into spaces and consume media that they know is appreciative and that helps to enhance their appreciation of cultures from all around the world. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar Boom! I did it! I ended a podcast! <laughs>